Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 51 of the show. It's been a few weeks since we've been on. A lot of stuff to get caught up on. And of course, most importantly, the NFL has kicked off. The regular season is officially underway. We're three weeks into it, or starting the third week, I guess, this week, you could say. Uh, We've had a few golf tournaments to uh, recap, and this weekend... The Ryder Cup is going to be played, which is very good. We'll have a preview of that. And, of course, in Major League Baseball, the playoffs are about to start. Season is winding down. we got some really tight playoff races forming. So uh, we'll get into all of that. But we're going to start off, as we usually do, in the PGA Tour. And uh, we'll rewind it back a couple of weeks. The first weekend in September was the Tour Championship. And that was held at the East Lake Golf Club in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a par 70. Distance was 7,346 yards. Now, the Tour Championship is the uh, final event in the FedEx Cup playoffs with the uh, winner of this tournament usually winning the uh, FedEx Cup. So a uh, lot of money on the line, $15 million purse in this one for the winner. A um, lot of winnings uh, dished out for the, the rest of the the field as well but uh it was only a 30 golfer field okay it's the top 30 qualify for this event and it was a pretty damn good good tournament uh, in the end your winner was patrick cantlay uh, he won with a score of 21 under par which was one better than john rom who finished at 20 under par now i'll remind you with tour championship they have staggered scoring, which we discussed in the last episode in the preview of the Tour Championship. So Cantlay started at 10 under par, uh, finished at 21 under par. So uh, he ended up shooting 11 under over the course of his four rounds. But uh, So Cantlay was your winner. He won the FedEx Cup with a score of 21 under par, which this win was his fourth, of the, uh, fourth win of the year. Uh, he had won the BMW Championship as well in the FedEx Cup playoffs. And then um, he had three other or two other wins throughout the year as well. Uh, and he was became the first person uh, since the 2016-2017 season with four or more wins uh, in a PGA Tour calendar season. So uh, there was a few golfers that finished with three. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, Harris English, uh, they each had three, but... Uh, uh, Cantlay was the first one with four since, uh, well, in the last five years, I guess. Um, John Rahm, like I said, finished 20 under par. The next closest was Kevin Na at 16 under par. And then Justin Thomas finished fourth at 15 under par. Fifth place, there was a two-way tie. Xander Shoffley and Victor Hovland both shot 14 under par. And um, Shoffley actually shot a six under on Sunday to really boost his his score and his winnings because uh, he wasn't 
he wasn't looking great heading into that final round and then came out with that 64 and really made himself some money. Uh, but a couple of uh, interesting notes here that happened during the Tour Championship. Sung Im, uh, the guy plays every weekend. He ended up breaking the record for the most birdies in a single season um, with 494. So during the Tour Championship here, he made his 494th birdie of the season, which was the most in a single season since 1980, um, which had been the previous record at 493. So uh, pretty interesting there. Uh, like I said, M plays in, in damn near every tournament. Uh, if it's not every tournament, it's at least 95% of them. Uh, and then the other interesting fact for this, um, not really noteworthy, but Joaquin Neiman, he ended up playing by himself uh, in Sunday's final round because Brooks Kepka actually withdrew after the third round, uh, which made him have 29 golfers. So um, they had an odd man out, which was Joaquin Neiman, since he was in last place. He ended up playing Sunday's final round by himself, and that final round he set the record for the fastest round ever played at East Lake with a time of one hour and 53 minutes, which is just incredible. He, he took less than two hours to play 18 holes of golf, which, you know, um, that, that obviously tells you how good he is. And he was running and stuff in between, in between holes. So, uh, he, he was shortening his time, but to, to play a full round of golf in less than two hours is, is pretty incredible. But the tour championship wrapped up the, 2020-2021 calendar season for the PGA Tour, which moves us, uh, there was about a week a week break, uh, and then they had a tournament uh, last weekend, it was the Fortinet Championship, which was held at the Silverado Resort and Spa, the North Course, which is in Napa, California. There's a par 72 distance with 7,123 yards. And uh, in that one, you had a few big-name players, um, obviously, with the Ryder Cup uh, this weekend. You, you know, you didn't have a whole lot of the main major guys, but you did have some big-name players in this tournament. It ended up being a pretty solid tournament um, to start the year. Uh, Max Homa was your winner at 19 under par after shooting back-to-back uh, -to -back seven under 65s uh, on Saturday and Sunday just really went out there and won that thing because he uh through two rounds Homa was only sitting at five under par he shot a five under in the first round even par in the second round and then came out and shot seven under both on Saturday and Sunday so Homa went out and won that thing uh, Maverick McNeely he was your uh 54 hole leader and he finished second at 18 under par. And then two shots back at him, Mito Pereira, 16 under par. He finished third. Now, Pereira's a good golfer. You, you probably recognize the name from the Olympics. Uh, he represented Chile uh, in Tokyo for the Olympics and ended up going to the playoff hole for the bronze medal, um, that, that six- or seven-man playoff that they had in uh, Tokyo for the bronze medal. Pereira was one of those golfers. He's a good Good young golfer. I think he's going to be around for a while. He spent most of the season on the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, but now he's he's playing more regularly on the PGA Tour. So I would look for Pereira to maybe make some noise uh, as possibly a Rookie of the Year type golfer this year. Uh, there was a two-way tie for fourth between Mark Leishman and Taylor Gooch. They both finished at 15 under par, which was four shots back of Homa. 
Um, Hideki Matsuyama was at 13 under par. So, like I said, it was a pretty solid weekend. Uh, but Max Homa starting off the year uh, with a bang because he went out there and got that thing after back-to-back rounds of, of 65. So uh, Homa is your FedEx Cup points leader after the first event, which, um, you know, is always good to start off on top. But um, So that was the first event of the uh, PGA calendar year. Now, the Ryder Cup, we'll get to that. Because that's that's the main event, really, is the Ryder Cup. And that's this weekend, which is September 24th through the 26th. It's only a three-day event. So it, 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 uh, the first tee time is uh, Friday the 24th, and they play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, how the, 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 let me back up. The course is Whistling Straits. All right, that's the name of this podcast is, is Whistling Straits, right? This, this episode is named after the golf course. So it's a Whistling Straits golf course, and it's in Kohler, Wisconsin. It's a par 71, distance 7,390 yards. So uh, pretty decent course. It's more of a Lynx-style golf course, okay? Um, pretty uh, pretty good little course. It's, it's very difficult. Um, now, the Ryder Cup features Team USA versus Team Europe, all right? And so each team has to players qualify for the teams basically and there's there's a team captain they have automatic qualifiers for each team and then the captain picks the remaining players that didn't automatically qualify now there's 12 players per team and they basically take uh they have there's three different each of the days they do a different style of golf right and so the three three basically formats that they use here this is kind of how it's going to go down there's a four ball uh one day will be four ball where each member of the two-man team plays euro so that each each team has a two-man team six two-man teams so each member of the two-man team plays their own ball so there's four balls that are in play on every hole and then each team counts the lowest of the two scores on each hole and the team whose player has the lowest score on that hole wins the hole all right, and if the low scores are tied, then the hole is halved. Okay, so that's four ball. Four sums, all right, your next next day will be four sums. And uh, each two-man team plays one ball per hole with the players taking turns until each hole is complete. Players alternate uh, hitting tee shots with one leading off on the odd uh, number holes and the other leading off on the even number holes. And the team with the low score on each hole wins that hole and if their scores are tied the hole is halved all right so that's four sums and then singles singles is each match all right features one player from each team they're paired up the player with the lower score on each hole wins that hole the scores are tied the hole is halved so unlike stroke play the players do not have to compete each hole and match play uh complete each each hole and match play i'm sorry and if a player concedes a stroke uh, almost, it's regularly a putt, right, uh, to his opponent. The opponent picks up the ball, takes the score he would have made on the next stroke, and moves on. Basically, if it's a gimme putt, right, that's the equivalent of a gimme putt. Your opponent can give you the gimme putt. So, uh, the points. To, so, how this works basically, you have those three types of of golf matches basically, and each match is worth one point. All right, matches ending in a draw are worth a half a point to each side. 
and the first team to reach 14 and a half points out of the 28 points available wins the Ryder Cup. And if the Ryder Cup match ends in a 14-14 tie, then the team holding the Ryder Cup retains it. And in this particular case, Europe is the defending Ryder Cup champion. And not only are they the defending Ryder Cup champion, they've won seven out of the last nine Ryder Cups. Okay, so Europe has pretty much dominated this thing, which is not good because, uh, you know, U.S. This is this is the U.S. It's on home soil, so it rotates basically. Uh, Ryder Cup, uh, I believe, is every two years, and <clears throat> it rotates between the United States and, of course, in Europe. Okay, so this year it's obviously here uh, in the United States. We have home home uh, course advantage, so to speak. But here are the rosters for each of the teams. All right, Team USA uh, is captained by Steve Stricker, and his golfers are Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, Harris English, Daniel Berger, and Scotty Scheffler. And out of those, six of them are first-time Ryder Cup picks. All right, and that would be Morikawa, Cantlay, Shoffley, uh, English, Berger, and Scheffler, all first Ryder Cup appearance, which is a young half your guys haven't been in this thing before. Now you have your anchors that obviously have DJ, uh, JT, Kepka, DeChambeau. Those guys have all played in this before, so they kind of know what to expect. But I like that U.S. lineup. Uh, you got power. You got good iron play. You, you pretty much have the full package, all right? And uh, so I, I I like Team USA, okay? Now, here's the European roster. They are captained by uh, Patrick Harrington, former major champion. And the Ryder Cup roster is as follows. John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood, Victor Hovland, Paul Casey, Sergio Garcia, Shane Lowry, Ian Poulter, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Tyrell Hatton, Lee Westwood, and Bern Wiesberger. So uh, that Europe roster is pretty damn good, too. Um, you can't go wrong with the first, really, five golfers that I mentioned. Rom, McElroy, Fleetwood, Hovland, and Casey. I mean, Rom's the best golfer in the world, ranked number one. He's uh, The way he finished the season the last, really, couple of months – seem to be in and around the top five every week. Uh, won the U.S. Open, get his first major. So uh, Europe has some heavy hitters uh, in that lineup. But I I like the fact, and like I said, Whistling Straits is more of a link-style course, which is the style of golf you get in Europe, uh, specifically like England, Ireland, Scotland area, which is, of course, where you know uh, McElroy, Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, Hatton, Lowry, you know, Westwood, those guys are, are all from that part of the world, which is home to link style golf. So they're going to be very familiar with uh, whistling straights and this type of course. Uh, for a prediction, right? Yeah, I'm sure you want a prediction on this. I think um, if I had to pick, I would say that the United States is going to win the Ryder Cup 
uh, on home course here at Whistling Straits, uh, but it's going to be close. Uh, I think it's uh, the U.S. is going to is going to struggle in, in some events and um, some of those formats that we talked about, but I do think that uh, they they have the deeper lineup. I guess if that makes sense. Um, a lot of young talent on the United States team. Uh, your team Europe has some older golfers uh, with Poulter, Westwood, Sergio Garcia. There's some older golfers there, but uh, the United States is going young, and uh, they're super talented. So I like the United States to win the Ryder Cup and bring it back to the U.S. But uh, that's that's going to be a very exciting weekend, a very cool event. It's not your normal style of golf, so I will definitely be tuning in to the Ryder Cup this weekend. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball, do a standings update in the MLB. And most teams, uh, I think all teams, have played somewhere between 151 to 153 games. Of course, there's 162 total games in the regular season, so teams have about uh, 8 to 10 games left in their regular season. So uh, it's coming down to the wire. We'll, we'll talk about the, the wild card standings and the playoff standings here in just a minute. But we'll start off in the National League. National League East, the Atlanta Braves are currently the division leaders with a record of 80 and 70. Three games back of them, the Philadelphia Phillies at 78 and 74. Now let me back up real quick. The Atlanta Braves... They have a three-game lead on the Phillies. They have been playing really good baseball uh, pretty much all year. Uh, they're on a four-game winning streak, and uh, the Braves became the second team in Major League Baseball history to have all four of their infielders hit 25 or more home runs in the same season. The only other team to do that was the 2008 Florida Marlins. Now, in this last week, outfielder Eddie Rosario hit for the cycle uh, for the Braves. It was the 10th cycle in Braves history. And the crazy thing about, a reason I mention that, is because Rosario hit for the cycle on five pitches. So he had four hits, single, double, triple, home run on only five pitches, which is just, uh, that's outrageous. That's not real good plate discipline, but when you hit for the cycle on five pitches, you can't really complain about it. So uh, the Braves are looking good to win that division although the Phillies are, are nipping right at their heels there, three games back, 78-74. The Mets are third place in that division at 73-79. and 79. Uh, Pete Alonso, since the last episode, he's become the second fastest player of all time to hit 100 home runs. Uh, he's the home run derby champ. The guy just knows how to hit a home run. But uh, the other two teams in the division, Miami Marlins, Washington Nationals, they both have been eliminated from playoff contention. So there is no need to discuss them. Now, in the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers, they have been atop this division for a long time. They have officially clinched a playoff spot. Okay, They're 91-61. and 61. They're eight and a half games up on the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 82-69. and 69. Now, the Cardinals, we'll talk about them here in a minute. They are on an 11-game winning streak. Okay, just unbelievable. Cardinals are playing some really good baseball right now. Um, they look like they're really in solid control of a wild-card spot. Um, 
So I, I, they're a dangerous team. Adam Wainwright has made a complete career resurgence. He's looked like an ace pitcher this year. So watch out for St. Louis. Uh, pro, they're just going to end up being a wild card team. It looks like, but third place in the NL Central is the Cincinnati Reds. They're seventy-eight and seventy-four. Um, they're five and a half games back of the Cardinals. So again, Cincinnati, the best they can hope for is a wild card. Um, they had been playing really good baseball. Um, but then this last 10 games, they've only won three times. So they've kind of fallen off a little bit. And the, the other two teams in the NL Central, the Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates, have both officially been eliminated from playoff contention. Now, the National League West. Okay, this division has just been uh, unbelievable all year. The San Francisco Giants. They... Uh, are atop the division at 99-53. and 53. They were the first team to clinch a playoff spot, uh, the Giants were. Uh, they have, they're going to be the first team to 100 wins, it appears. Uh, but they have a two-game lead on the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are 97-55. and 55. Okay, now The Dodgers, they've won eight out of their last ten. So they are coming for that division. Uh, Max Scherzer is, he is going to be <clears throat> possibly your NL Cy Young winner. Uh, he became the 19th pitcher in Major League Baseball history to reach 3,000 career strikeouts. Uh, I believe since being traded to the Dodgers, he is either 8-0 or 9-0 uh, as the starting pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers. He's just unbelievable. He seems to go seven innings, giving up no runs, and striking out at least eight to ten batters per outing. Uh, the guy is incredible. Uh, I, I don't know if the Dodgers are going to catch the Giants. Uh, with how well the Giants are playing, but uh, I do believe that the Giants, uh, or the Dodgers rather, are going to be a fierce playoff team and uh, have a good chance to repeat as World Series champions. Third place in that division is the Col- uh, San Diego Padres, rather, <clears throat> at 76 and 75. Talk about falling off the wagon. Okay, they're, they're, they've only won twice in their last 10 games. They're 22 and a half games back of the Giants, uh, 20 and a half games back of the Dodgers, which is unbelievable because if you've been keeping up with these podcasts and these standings updates that I've been given <clears throat> every week or couple of weeks, the Padres have been near the top of that division for most of the season, and then now they just completely fell off. Fell off. The Colorado Rockies are 71 and 80. <clears throat> they were... They've been at the bottom of the division all year, and somehow there's only five games that separate the Rockies and the Padres. And uh, I would have just never guessed that. If you'd have told me that the Rockies uh, would have finished within five games of the Padres, I would have said you're nuts. But that is looking like it's going to happen, or fairly close. Right now, uh, I said there's five games that separate the Padres and the Rockies. So the eliminated team from that division is the Arizona Diamondbacks. They... Uh, they are officially the worst team in baseball, tied for the worst record with the Baltimore Orioles at 48 and 104. But the uh, American League, we'll go over there real quick. Uh, the American League East, the Tampa Bay Rays, they have officially clinched a playoff spot. They're 94 and 59. They are six games in front of the Boston Red Sox, who are 88 and 65. Boston's on a seven game winning streak, they've won eight out of their last 10. Uh, they've kind of come, come back. Okay, they they had you know they've been in second, first or second most of the year, and they kind of slid down 
a few weeks ago, but they're they're working their way back up. They're in contention for a wild card spot. The New York Yankees are eighty six and sixty seven, eight games back of the Rays, two games back of the Red Sox, and then just behind the Yankees are the Toronto Blue Jays, eighty five and sixty seven. They're just a half game back of the Yankees. All three of those teams are in contention for a wild card. We'll get into that. They're both. Uh, they're all three of them are playing really well right now. Um, and with Toronto, they uh, had a game uh, the first. It was a couple weekends ago. They beat the Baltimore Orioles twenty-two to seven. The Blue Jays did. Their offense is just unbelievable. They got uh, three guys with a uh, hundred runs scored. A uh, bunch of guys that are at or near 100 RBIs. You know, they're just, they, they can mash the ball. That uh, probably the best offense in the league, the Blue Jays. But they uh, beat the Orioles 22 to 7 uh, about two weeks ago. And during that, the Blue Jays' 22 runs was more runs scored than 14 NFL teams scored points during their week one games. Okay, I think it was a Sunday game between the Blue Jays and the Orioles of uh, week one of the NFL. And uh, the Blue Jays outscored 14 NFL teams that day, which is just uh, unbelievable. But uh, so they're they're right in the mix. The eliminated team, as I mentioned, uh, the Baltimore Orioles, they've pretty much were eliminated as soon as the season began. Now in the American League Central, the Chicago White Sox somehow have not wrapped up the division. Okay, I don't know how they haven't clinched. They're 85 and 66. They have a 10 and a half game lead on the Cleveland Indians, who are 74 and 76. Um, I, I don't know how. I guess they, they probably have a few games against each other this upcoming week and a half, which is why Chicago hasn't officially clinched. But uh, they, Chicago's winning that division. Uh, and Cleveland's not making up 10 and a half games over the final 8 to 10 games. So the three eliminated teams... Uh, well, let me back up. The Indians. The reason I say that is because Cleveland, they got no hit. For the third time this year, uh, it was a combined no-hitter <clears throat> that they that they had. It was their third time being no-hit, which is the first time in Major League Baseball history that a team has been no-hit three times in the same season. Okay, First, first time that's ever been done. Uh, and believe it or not, starting pitcher Zach Plesak uh, for the Indians, he started all three of the games in which they've been no-hit. Now, I'm not saying it's his fault, obviously, because he's pitching, he's not hitting. But uh, that is uh, pretty freaky. And, you know, A couple other teams have been no-hit twice, the Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers. Okay, uh, Arizona and Texas have both been no-hit twice. The Indians have been no-hit three times, which is uh, a record. So uh, not one you want. But uh, there's three teams that are eliminated in this division. The Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, and the Minnesota Twins have all been eliminated from playoff contention. Now, quick note on the Royals. I know they're eliminated, but their catcher, Salvador Perez, he hit his 46th home run of the year uh, this past week, which is unbelievable It for a catcher. It broke Johnny Bench's record uh, set in 1970 for the most home runs in a season by a primary catcher. So... Uh, Salvador Perez is having a hell of a year. Uh, he's played in almost all the games, which is, is good because he's had some health concerns in the past. So a great uh, comeback season for Salvador Perez. Uh, unfortunately for him, the Twins, or the uh, Royals rather, have just not put it together. But uh, 
In the American League West, there are three teams still in contention. The Houston Astros are atop the division at 91 and 61. They have an eight-game lead on the Seattle Mariners, who are 83 and 69. The Mariners are riding a four-game winning streak. They've won six out of their last ten. They're playing really good baseball at the right time. Uh, I like the Mariners. Their offense is good. Uh, they use the home run ball quite a bit to generate a lot of offense. But I like that. I, I like the Mariners. Um, they're they're obviously in the thick of the wild card race as well. Now the Oakland A's are uh, one game back of the Mariners at 82 and 70. They're obviously in the mix still. And then your two eliminated teams in the American League West are the LA Angels and the Texas Rangers. They both have been eliminated for a long time. But uh, the wild card standings, as they sit currently, right now, in the National League, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals occupy both wild card spots. Now, the Dodgers are winning one of those wild card spots. They have a 14 and a half game lead on the St. Louis Cardinals for the first wild card spot. So you can go ahead and pencil in the Dodgers for one of those two wild cards. Now, the second wild card spot. The Cardinals are 82 and 69, like I mentioned. They currently occupy that second wild card spot. Four and a half games behind the Cardinals, you have the Cincinnati Reds and the Philadelphia Phillies. Okay? And then the San Diego Padres are six games back. That's really all I think that can catch the Cardinals because the Mets, the New York Mets, are nine and a half games back of the Cardinals. I just don't see that happening over the final 10 games. Um, uh, it's going to come down to St. Louis, Cincinnati, or Philly, really. I mean, San Diego has a chance, but they got to make up six games over the final eight to ten games. I think that's probably too much to ask of the, the Padres, considering how they haven't been playing great baseball lately. They've lost five in a row. So um, the Dodgers will be in one wild card spot. The second wild card's either going to be St. Louis Cincinnati or Philadelphia and that's going to be interesting to watch St. Louis a four and a half game lead is a pretty damn good cushion over the final 10 games uh, if St. Louis just plays 500 baseball uh, the rest of the way they're going to win the wild card um, but they're they're on an 11 game winning streak right now now over in the American League your two wild card holders at the moment the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees now the Red Sox have a two game lead over the Yankees for that first wild card spot. So being that the Yankees are the team to catch at the moment for the second wild card spot, the teams that can catch them at the moment, there's only three. The Toronto Blue Jays are just a half game back of the Yankees. The Seattle Mariners are two and a half games back of the Yankees. And the Oakland A's are three and a half games back of the Yankees. The next closest team is the Cleveland Indians at ten and a half games, so they're not. The Cleveland is out. All right, your your wild card teams. I I don't know. Boston does not have this thing clinched at the moment. They only have a two game lead on the Yankees. The Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays all are in the American League East. That's going to be a slugfest over this final week and a half. Um, I'm not comfortable saying that any of those five teams are guaranteed to be in or they're guaranteed to be out. I would say Oakland sitting three and a half back of New York, uh, five and a half back of the Yankees, uh, of the Red Sox rather, probably has the biggest hill to climb. Um, but 
yeah, I, I think that any five of those teams are very much in play. All right. Um, Seattle's on a four-game winning streak. The Red Sox, seven-game winning streak. Yankees, three-game winning streak. So all of those teams are playing some damn good baseball. Um, I predicted before the season started that Toronto, uh, that the Blue Jays would win the American League pennant. So I'm going to say that they're going to get one of the. They're only a half game out of that second wild card spot as it sits. I like the Blue Jays to to get one of those two spots, and it'll probably be either the Yankees or the Red Sox sitting in the other spot. Um, but those Mariners are are scrappy. They've been playing some great baseball, and I like for them to at least stick their nose in there. But uh, baseball season's wrapping up. It's been a hell of a season. It's super competitive here down towards the finish line at least on the American League side. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that over the next week and a half, and we'll uh, we'll have a playoff preview uh, of baseball during the uh, next episode. But we'll move over to the NCAA and do a quick uh, rankings update in college football. Just run through the Associated Press Top 25 poll as it currently sits. The number one team is Alabama. Number two team is Georgia. Number three, Oregon. Number four, Oklahoma. Number five, Iowa. Number six, Penn State coming off a big win against Auburn. Number seven is Texas A&M. Number eight, Cincinnati. All all eight of those teams are 3-0. and All right. And then number nine is Clemson. They're 2-1. and Ohio State is 10. They're 2-1. and uh, They've not looked real great uh especially on the defensive side of the football they're going to be in trouble there uh moving forward number 11 team is florida they uh had a close game this past week in uh in the uh in the swamp against alabama they made that uh down to the last play they look pretty good they're two and one notre dame's number 12 they're three and oh but they are highly fraudulent um they should be one and two uh, they almost lost their first two games to Florida State and uh, to Toledo. They had a tough time against Toledo in week two. But, yeah, so they're, they're, Notre Dame is not for long there. Uh, Ole Miss is number 13. They're 3-0. Iowa State, they're number 14. They're 2-1. and one. They got thumped, absolutely thumped by Iowa a couple weeks ago, but they rebounded last week. Number 15 is BYU. 16 is Arkansas. Arkansas and BYU are both uh, 3-0. Now, Arkansas beat my beloved Texas Longhorns really bad a couple weeks ago. They got a big game with Texas A&M this weekend uh, at AT AT&T Stadium here in Arlington, and uh, that game's going to be a good one. Arkansas is a very underrated team, or they started the year as underrated. Now they're up to 16 after three weeks, so... They just keep moving up, and I'm rooting for them to beat A&M. Uh, the number 17 team is Coastal Carolina. They're 3-0. and uh, They just keep winning, man. Uh, last year's miracle season, they just keep building on that. They're a good little football team there in, uh, in Conway, South Carolina. Uh, number 18, Wisconsin. They're 1-1. One one. They have a big game with Notre Dame this weekend at Soldier Field, which is where college game day is going to be at. I like for the Badgers to run up and down on Wisconsin and uh, take that one. Number 19 is Michigan. Number 20 is Michigan State. They're both 3-0. Michigan State has a pretty impressive resume. 
Uh, they just beat the tar out of uh, Miami this past weekend in Miami. But uh, they, they've looked pretty good. Number 21, North Carolina. They're 2-1. and one. Number 22 is Fresno State. They're 3-1. and one. Uh, They could have very easily be 4-0. Oh. Uh, they almost beat Oregon in the opening uh, week. And uh, that's their only loss. So they look pretty good. Number 23 is Auburn. They're 2-1. and one. They just lost on the road uh, in Penn State this past weekend in a fairly close game. Uh, so they stay inside the rankings. Number 24, UCLA. They got beat this past weekend. They're 2-1. and one. And then number 25 is Kansas State. They're 3-0. and oh. uh, As we begin conference play this week in the Big 12, uh, I don't believe Kansas State is going to remain undefeated for long. Some other big-name programs that received votes were TCU, Maryland, Texas, USC, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, LSU, uh, just to name a few. That, But college football has been nuts um, this year. Uh, there have been 18 ranked teams to lose a game this year, which is the most ever through the first three weeks of a college football season. So uh, these standings are not set in stone by any means. They're going to change weekly as they normally do, but it seems more so this year than previous years. So uh, college football's been crazy, and uh, I'm just looking forward to conference play as we get that going uh, here in the Big 12 anyway, since I'm a a Texas Longhorn fan. But um, we got a big one with Texas Tech this week. But, yeah, college football's uh, off and running. We're a month in here, and uh, it looks as though it's going to be a a very competitive and fun season, uh, which – Brings me over to the National Football League, and uh, we're two weeks into that NFL season here, and we, you know, I'm not going to do a standings update because it's only two games, so you're either 2-0, and 1-1, and or 0-2, so there's not really not much to update, but there's been some major injuries that have happened, and we'll kind of get into some of those here and around the island in just a minute, but uh, some surprises so far. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're 2-0, and and they've, uh, they've got two good wins. Their defense is playing really well. Um, they had a big win uh, this past week in Pittsburgh, and uh, they're atop the AFC West right now because the Kansas City Chiefs lost in Baltimore after having a lead with about five minutes to go in the fourth quarter of that one on Sunday Night Football. Uh, the Ravens basically saved their season, I think, by beating Kansas City. Otherwise, they would have started 0-2 had they lost. Uh, but the AFC North between the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Browns, they're all 1-1. One one. I think that's going to be a slugfest, uh, just like it usually is. Um, the Houston Texans, they they won their first game. Now, after all the offseason drama with Deshaun Watson and how you know they're going to be a terrible team, they have no skill position players, well, they, they went out and won their first week, and they lost their second. So they're tied with the Titans at 1-1 one and one for the division lead after two weeks. Now, the surprise in that division, the Indianapolis Colts are 0-2. The thing with the Colts, though, is the first six games on their schedule are all against playoff teams from the previous year. I think the uh, Colts' first six opponents have the highest winning percentage for any first six opponents uh, of any schedule uh, in NFL history. So... Uh, they got a real, real brutal first six games, but 
they're not starting out real well. Um, over in the NFC, uh, the NFC West, my God. The 49ers, the Rams, and the Cardinals are all 2-0. and Seahawks are 1-1. and um, You know, that that division is, that's going to be, it's going to take 13 or 14 wins to win that division, I think. Uh, all, all four of those teams are just very good teams. Uh, the Falcons, they're 0-2 in the NFC South. The Atlanta Falcons are 0-2. They might be the very worst team in the NFL this year um, behind Jacksonville and uh, the Giants. Uh, I just – the Falcons are, are are not good. We'll just leave it at that. The Buccaneers, they're, they're looking good in their quest to repeat as Super Bowl champs. They got to, you know, beat the Cowboys in a, in a great win. It was a big game from Tom Brady. And then uh, the defense took over in week two, got a couple of defensive scores. But uh, the Carolina Panthers are a surprise team in the NFC, 2-0 and uh, after beating the brakes off the New Orleans Saints in week two, uh, which the Saints had just done to the Packers in week one. But um, so that a uh, little surprise there from Carolina. Over in the NFC North, you know, the Packers, they got back on track after just complete stinker in week one. They got back on track against the Detroit Lions in Week Two on Monday Night Football, uh, with Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams all looking like they normally do. So they're back on track. Justin Fields for the Chicago Bears. He's getting set to make his first career start this weekend. Um, it was an injury that sent him. You know, Andy Dalton's hurt, so that's why he's starting. But nonetheless, he uh, he's going to make his first career start. So keep an eye on that. It'll be against the Cleveland Browns. And then the NFC East, the Washington football team, Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Cowboys are all 1-1. One and one. Uh, and then the New York Giants are 0-2. Now, Cowboys should be 2-0. and uh, They had a lead with a minute left against Tampa Bay. and That was just too much time for Brady and the gang. But they should be 2-0. and I think they are clearly the best team in that division, although they got a big game with the Philadelphia Eagles this Monday night on Monday night football. But that's uh, the NFL season, like I said, we're week three starts this week. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a good competitive season, especially with that 17th game added to the, the slate. It's uh, going to be a, a more taxing, more demanding, more competitive season all the way across the board. But, uh, yeah, NFL, like I said, it's, everybody, you know, football is my – probably my favorite sport uh, at least to watch anyways and uh fantasy football is going hope hope your teams are doing all right um but best time of year fall football gotta love it but we'll move on to our segment called around the island and that's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports and uh, we'll start off in the national football league uh, for the season opener between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this the average ticket price for that game was $582, which is, to me, that's just, that's outrageous. I know it's opening week of the NFL, but, I mean, that's just the average price. So some were less, some were more, but um, you weren't getting in that, that gate for probably anything less than a couple hundred bucks. But uh, after that game, the, the Dallas, my Dallas Cowboys, right, my favorite team, y'all know that, took a big hit in that game. Uh, after the game, it was announced uh, 
that Michael Gallup was going to miss three to five weeks with a calf strain. He's since been placed on IR, so he uh, he's currently sitting on IR. won't be back for another few weeks. And then it was announced after the game that offensive tackle Lyle Collins was suspended for five games for violating the league's substance abuse policy. Now, that dealt with missing drug tests, not failed drug tests. So he's appealing the suspension. I don't know if he's going to get it overturned, but I guess he missed several drug tests leading up to the suspension. But either way, he's out. Did not have him for the Chargers game. Terrence Steele looked pretty good over there, but nonetheless, he's out. And then the week leading up to the Chargers game this past weekend, Demarcus Lawrence Pro Bowl defensive end, broke his foot. So he already had surgery on that. He's out six to eight weeks. So the Cowboys are just ravished with injuries. And I know this week they're going to be without two more defensive linemen. Uh, Carlos Watkins uh, is out. Uh, They do get Randy Gregory back off the COVID list. Uh, And Micah Parsons is probably going to play some D-end, stand-up D-end, just like he did against the Chargers, where he really excelled. But uh, either way, Cowboys are in a world of hurt here with these injuries and suspensions, so we need to get that changed. Uh, Now, I mentioned on the last episode how the Atlanta Falcons were the first team to get 100% vaccinated, players and staff. Well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have joined that list as well. Uh, They are also 100% fully vaccinated, which at the moment, to my knowledge, they are the only two teams that are 100% vaccinated. And along those uh, vaccination lines, the NFL moved uh, their COVID testing to a weekly thing. Uh, But the NFL Players Association is pushing for higher frequency of testing. So the NFLPA is requesting daily testing, just like last year. Uh, Whereas I think the NFL has now moved it to weekly testing. So players get tested weekly instead of biweekly, I think, as it was. Um, but the NFLPA is pushing for daily testing. Now, I think a majority of the league is vaccinated uh, instead of non-vaccinated, but there's still quite a few number of non-vaccinated players and coaches. So that's why NFLPA is pushing for daily testing. But uh, speaking of injuries, the the Baltimore Ravens uh, have just been completely decimated. Uh, you know, they we talked about J.K. Dobbins' torn ACL on the last episode, and I'm not sure if we mentioned backup running back Justice Hill. He tore his Achilles. And then in the same practice uh, a couple weeks ago, they lost running back Gus Edwards and cornerback Marcus Peters to torn ACLs. So um, they shut down practice. But that is just uh, devastation on the injury front for Baltimore. They did sign Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, and Latavius Murray to contracts. Now, Murray and Freeman played in this past week's game against Kansas City. It means that Le'Veon Bell is still sitting on their practice squad. So I don't know how you would pick Freeman and Murray over Le'Veon Bell, but such is the case. And Bell is still currently on the Ravens' practice squad. But uh, another big injury from the first couple of weeks, San Francisco 49ers running back Raheem Mostert. He suffered a meniscus injury in week one. He chose to have surgery to repair the injury. He's going to be out for the rest of the year. Now, they also had uh, uh, several other injuries this past week. Jermichael Hasty 
he's going to be out. He hurt himself. Elijah Mitchell had a big first week filling in for uh, Mostert. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks. And then uh, so uh, the running back room in San Francisco is very, very thin and uh, just not sure how that's going to play out. But um, over in Washington, the Washington football team, quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick suffered a hip subluxation in week one, basically a partially dislocated hip. So he's going to be out for several weeks. Taylor Heineke started their Thursday night game this past week against the Giants and actually led them to a uh, last-minute come-from-behind victory. Uh, But a crazy stat here regarding Washington football team, wide receiver Terry McLaurin. uh, He's played in 30 NFL games since being drafted in the third round a couple years ago. And in those 30 games, he's had seven different starting quarterbacks in 30 games, which is just outrageous. Now, he's one of the top wide receivers in football. We'll put him at a top, we'll say, 15 wide receiver in the league. But uh, to have seven different quarterbacks in 30 games is just simply, uh, I mean, you can't develop chemistry or any kind of anything with that. But he's done well enough. Now we have, uh, looks like, several uh, contract extensions that have happened over the past several weeks. The first involves New Orleans Saints corner Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, last, I think it was after week one, maybe it was past, I think it was after week one, or during week one, he signed a five-year, $97.6 million extension uh, with the Saints which with uh, $68.3 million guaranteed, which is the largest amount of money for a corner uh, due at signing, guaranteed-wise. And then that later that day, he got hurt in the game that he was playing in after he signed that contract, and uh, he's going to need surgery on his thumb. So he's going to miss some time, but he is quite a bit richer. Uh, over in Indianapolis, the Colts, they re-signed running back Naheem Hines to a three-year, $18.6 million contract extension, which is very interesting. That's over $6 million per year, includes $12 million guaranteed. They have Jonathan Taylor, who they spent a high draft pick on last year, Okay, and he's very productive last year. He had high expectations coming into this year. He's still on a rookie deal, so I guess that's why they can pay Naheem Hines. But that shows you that the Colts have no plans to get rid of Hines and that Hines is going to be a factor on Taylor's touches moving forward. Over in Pittsburgh, uh, the Steelers, they have re-signed all-pro linebacker T.J. Watt to a four-year, $112 million contract extension with $80 million in guaranteed money. That is uh, $28 million per season makes Watt the highest-paid defensive player in football. Uh, He is a difference maker. If you've watched him play, you know that he is um, definitely worth a big investment on the Steelers. Now, in Minnesota, the Vikings agreed to a five-year, $92.5 million contract extension with offensive tackle Brian O'Neill. That makes Brian O'Neill the second-highest-paid offensive tackle in football. And uh, I would not have been able to name him uh, or tell you that he is the second-highest paid tackle. But there it is. Uh, Over in Philadelphia, the Eagles, they re-signed an offensive tackle of their own. uh, Tackle Jordan 
Mylata, who signed a four-year, $64 million contract extension that could be worth up to $80 million with incentives. Uh, contract is, has almost $41 million in guaranteed money, and it's a very interesting contract considering that uh, Melata has ne- he had never even worn a football helmet until three years ago. Okay, and uh, he's only played in 10 NFL games, but he's 6'8", 380 pounds with uh, freakish athletic ability and upside. And uh, the Eagles are making him their left tackle of the future with that kind of money. So quite a big gamble there for somebody that has very limited football experience. Uh, A trade to report in the NFL. Houston Texans traded corner Bradley Roby to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, in exchange for a third-round pick in 2022 and a conditional pick in 2023. And Texans also paid $7 million of Roby's salary to New Orleans. Uh, or they're, they're paying that. New Orleans is going to pay the remaining $1.8 million. So uh, good trade for uh, the Saints getting a little corner depth behind Lattimore, who's going to miss some time. But uh, all in all, I think that trade worked out. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League. Got some off-season news out of the NHL. Uh, interesting situation between Carolina Hurricanes and the Montreal Canadiens. The Hurricanes sent an offer sheet to Montreal forward Jesperi Kotkaniemi. It was a one-year, $6.1 million contract. Montreal had the opportunity to match that contract and keep Kotkaniemi. They chose not to match the offer sheet, so... Coat Kaniemi signed the offer sheet for the Hurricanes, basically a free trade uh, for nothing. And so after not signing Coat Kaniemi to that offer sheet, Montreal traded a first-round pick here in 20, uh, 2022, next year's draft, and a second-round pick in 2024 to the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for forward Christian Dvorak. Now, Christian Dvorak is the son of longtime NHL erratic Dvorak. He was a second-round pick in 2014, and he just has not had the NHL career that he had hoped for. He was a pretty, pretty highly rated prospect, and um, I think a change of scenery is going to help him out because I mean, Arizona is a tough place to play for a young player. They don't have a whole lot of talent, so going to Montreal, he gets to play with quite a bit of talent. So I think Dvorak is going to. Uh, you're going to hear quite a bit from him this upcoming year. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, they have re-signed uh, 2018 NHL draft first overall pick Rasmus Dahlin to a three-year $18 million contract extension, so it's $6 million per year for the former number one overall pick. He's he's a great defenseman, uh, still very, very young. Uh, I'm not even sure. He might be 21. He's already played a couple years in the league. But... Uh, He'll be in Buffalo for another three years. Now, with regards to the upcoming season, the NHL announced some new uh, ramped-up COVID protocols for unvaccinated players for the upcoming season. Basically, unvaccinated NHL players are not going to be able to go anywhere uh, on the road except for the team hotel or the practice facility. And while they're at the hotel, they cannot use the bar, restaurant, gym, or pool, and they cannot have teammates or visitors in their room so super strict there and unvaccinated players are also prohibited from carpooling 
uh, or using saunas, and they are encouraged not to eat and drink on flights because they have to take their mask off. Uh, they're encouraged not to attend bars or clubs at home or using uh, or eating indoors, uh, even at home, people outside their own households. Um, and then NHL teams have been given the authority to suspend unvaccinated players who are unable to participate in team activities, whether it's due to a positive test or the inability to travel due to restrictions. Interesting note on that. The Detroit Red Wings announced that uh, forward Tyler Bertuzzi, or I guess he announced, Tyler Bertuzzi announced that he's not getting vaccinated. So that means that he's not going to be able to travel with the team for any of their Canadian games, which is uh, very, that he, he's going to fall under that possible suspension from the Red Wings. Uh, now, unvaccinated players, they will surrender one day's pay for each day that they miss. So if they test positive and miss X amount of days, but however many days they miss, they're getting uh, missing their pay for that day. So just very brutal uh, protocols for unvaccinated players. And they're also going to be subject to daily testing as opposed to testing every third day like some other, uh, like the vaccinated players are going to be doing. So definitely a lot more harsh on the unvaccinated, which I think is fair. Uh, I think at this point, um, if you haven't gotten your vaccine by now, you're not going to, um, you don't believe in them, whatever the case is. Uh, however, there are protocols in place. Uh, there's quite a bit of stuff that suggests that it's better to get vaccinated than not. So, um, you know, that's a whole topic for another day. But uh, the point is, is if you're not vaccinated in the NHL, you are basically going to be confined and quarantined. Uh, on the road and have very strict limitations even at home. Uh, but the biggest news out of the NHL was the fact that the NHL and NHL Players Association have agreed on a deal with the IIHF, which is the International Ice Hockey Federation. It's going to allow players to participate in the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. So the agreement allows for the possibility of uh, a withdrawal based on the evolving COVID conditions that are deemed unsafe or impractical by the NHL. So as of now, you will see NHL players in the 2022 Winter Olympics. So that is good news. Everybody loves some, some Olympic hockey. I know at least I do. Now, uh, the NHL also, they've announced a couple of special games. The first one was an outdoor game. Uh, for this upcoming season. So it's going to be on March 13th. It's the Buffalo Sabres and the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's going to be an outdoor game in Hamilton, Ontario at Tim Hortons Field. So that'll be cool. It'll be nice and chilly there in Canada there in mid-March. Uh, and then the other special game is actually going to take place here in the preseason coming up soon in a couple of weeks. Features, uh, well, it's it's from Craft Hockeyville, USA. Basically, the winner of Craft Hockeyville, USA was El Paso, Texas. So they get to redo their ice rink that's all paid for nhl is going to throw a preseason game there it's going to be the arizona coyotes and the dallas stars it's going to take place on october 3rd now speaking of the arizona coyotes they announced that they're going to be bringing back the uh, kachina jerseys this season very familiar uh, coyotes logo of uh, of several years back they're going to be their primary jerseys both black and white with the exception of about eight games that they're going to wear their 
red jerseys that we've been used to seeing them wear. But, yeah, very cool jerseys there. Uh, the Coyotes also have submitted a proposal to the city of Tempe, Arizona, outlining a plan for a $1.7 billion development in the city, which includes a brand new arena. Because if you recall, the Coyotes have kind of been in a feud with the city of Glendale, Arizona, which is where they play now, about uh, not renewing their contract for them to use that arena. So by the Coyotes uh, speaking with Tempe, Arizona, they are going to be relocating their facilities over to the Tempe area from Glendale, which uh, not too far, but um, I'm sure the Coyotes... We'll get a uh, great facility there in Tempe, but I'm just most excited for the Coyotes to see those those jerseys, uh, those retro jerseys. It's uh, it's the Coyote with the hockey stick on the front. Uh, if you if you watch hockey, you know exactly what they are. Um, they were I want to say they were popular in maybe the early 2000s, perhaps early to mid 2000s, maybe earlier than that, but. Uh, yeah, so that'll be their primary jerseys. But that's that's going to be pretty cool for, for the NHL. Now, over in Major League Baseball, just a few things of note. Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer, of course, he's been going through this legal battle of uh, sexual assault allegation that he got caught up in. And uh, he's been – he was on, placed on the administrative leave list uh, a couple months ago. They've been steadily extending it every couple weeks. But they announced that he's going to miss the remainder of the 2021 season altogether. Postseason, regular season, he's just out. And um, so that's that's unfortunate for the Dodgers, although they got Max Scherzer at the deadline, so it kind of takes his place. But if they can re-sign Max Scherzer and Trevor Bauer does come back, that rotation's just going to be nasty. Um, Milwaukee Brewers, longtime outfielder Ryan Braun announced his retirement from Major League Baseball after 14 seasons. Uh, He spent most of them with Milwaukee. He was the 2011 National League MVP, and he has finished as the Milwaukee Brewers' all-time leader in home runs. So I do not believe he is going into the Hall of Fame. However, a fantastic career for Ryan Braun nonetheless. Uh, The other piece of baseball news is uh, the fact that Major League Baseball announced that the 2023 MLB All-Star Game and festivities are going to be played at T-Mobile Park in Seattle, Washington. It's uh, Seattle's first All-Star Game bid since 2001 when they last hosted it. And, uh, man, I was just there in Seattle at the end of July, and I caught a Mariners game uh, while I was there. It's a beautiful city, and really, T-Mobile Park is beautiful. For for being uh, over 20 years old, that is just a fantastic ballpark that's in great shape. And it's right there, right in downtown Seattle. Got a fantastic view uh, right on the coast. Just a great city and a great venue for the All-Star game. So uh, I'll be looking forward to that for sure. And uh, I'm just uh, glad that I got the chance to go see a game there for sure. Uh, but over in the National Basketball Association, just a few uh, off-season notes here. The NBA announced that players are not going to be required to get vaccinated for the upcoming 2021-2022 season, which is fine. Uh, I, none of the major pro sports have required uh, vaccination at this point. Um, none of them have 
you know, there's strict protocols in place if you do not get vaccinated, but uh, nobody has required vaccinated. None of the major pro sports have required vaccination. Uh, so I don't, I certainly don't think the NBA would be the first to do so. But uh, a couple of trades to report. The Brooklyn Nets, they traded DeAndre Jordan four second round picks and cash to the Detroit Pistons in exchange for Jaleel Okafor and Siku Dumboya. Now, right after that trade was done, the Pistons immediately bought out DeAndre Jordan and traded him to the Los Angeles Lakers. So DeAndre Jordan ends up on the LA Lakers to pair with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. And then the Lakers also, they traded Mark Gasol to the Memphis Grizzlies in exchange for a second round pick in 2024 in cash for the draft rights to uh, a Chinese forward. I can't even pronounce his his name. But um, interesting sequence of moves there for the Lakers. Um, you know, they obviously fell short this, this past year. They got Russell Westbrook to go with uh, Anthony Davis, LeBron James. So that's going to be quite the quite the trio this upcoming year. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, he, if you remember, just five months ago, retired from the NBA, citing his health and his heart condition. Well, LaMarcus Aldridge has announced that he's coming back, and he signed a one-year, $2.6 million contract with the Brooklyn Nets. Like I said, just about five months uh Five months after he retired. So this tells me two things. One, uh, he's running out of money because he just signed a $2.6 million contract. And two, his health concerns apparently are not as serious as he originally made them out to be. Uh, because well, you don't want to mess with the heart condition. But if he's willing to play another year, then it obviously is not too serious. Now, somebody who has not been traded but is on the verge, basically, of being traded is Philadelphia 76ers forward Ben Simmons. Simmons has come out uh, just this past week, and he's said that he is not going to report to training camp and that he, quote, intends never to play another game for the Philadelphia 76ers, end quote. So uh, Simmons is not playing for the Sixers again. Uh, they basically have no choice but to trade him. And truthfully, I think they'll be a better team when they trade him. Um, he is not a great offensive player. He's fantastic defensively. He's 6'10". Uh, he's great, fantastic defensive forward. But uh, he is not your typical uh, score the ball, shoot the three big man like uh, a lot of uh, teams have now in the NBA. But So I would look for Ben Simmons to be traded uh, either before the start of the season or within the first month or two of the season. It's probably going to take quite the trade package to get him out of there, but at this point, it seems as though that's the only option is to split those two apart. Now, a retirement from the NBA, longtime NBA uh, veteran J.J. Redick, right, went to Duke, came out, high draft pick. He has announced his retirement from the NBA after 15 seasons. So in his tenure, he has played for the Orlando Magic, Milwaukee Bucks, Los Angeles Clippers, Philadelphia 76ers, New Orleans Pelicans, and most recently the Dallas Mavericks to make six teams in 15 years. 
Now, this past year with the Mavericks, he ended up getting traded uh, halfway through the year. Didn't play a whole lot for the Mavs because he was dealing with some uh, some injury issues, but um, he is now officially retired. So, again, definitely not a Hall of Fame career, but a good solid uh, career for J.J. Redick. But we'll move over and finish out our Around the Island segment in the NCAA. And some more news along the conference shuffling slash realignment front. Now, over the past couple episodes, I've discussed how, of course, the SEC expanded uh, to uh, 14 teams, uh, 16 teams, rather, with Texas and Oklahoma coming over. And then last episode, we talked about the alliance that was formed between the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten. Well, that left the Big 12 out to dry, which I mentioned on that last episode as well. But the good news for the Big 12 is that they had four schools reach out to them with interest in joining the conference. Those schools were the University of Houston, the University of Central Florida, Brigham Young University, and Cincinnati University. So uh, each of those schools is uh, good in their own respective sports. Uh, Brings a little... Uh, diversity to uh, the Big 12 as far as geographical location. And Friday, uh, the week before last, the Big 12 com- uh, commissioners, athletic directors, met chancellors. They voted unanimously to accept those four schools into the Big 12. So uh, it is official that Houston, Central Florida, BYU, and Cincinnati are all now members of the Big 12, whenever that goes into effect, probably in the next year or two, similarly to when Texas and OU are moving to the SEC. So uh, I think that's good for the Big 12. Um, That gets them back up to 12 teams instead of 10. The Big 12 has had 10 teams in it for the last several years since they lost um, Nebraska and Colorado. But Uh, So that'll get the Big 12 back to 12. And like I said, it gives a little diversity to the geographical. Instead of just being uh, in Texas, Oklahoma, uh, that general area, you branch out. BYU, of course, is in Utah. Cincinnati's in Ohio. Central Florida, of course, is obviously in Florida. So it gives you more coverage uh, across the country for for fans and for followers of the Big 12. So I think that uh, those those aren't really elite programs in any one particular sport, although BYU and Cincinnati are both currently ranked inside the top 15 in the country. So uh, pretty interesting there. But uh, I think those are four good additions to the Big 12. Now, out in the Pac-12, USC, they uh, last week they fired their head football coach, Clay Helton, after their Week 2 loss to Stanford, where they just got blown out. Uh, Helton was under contract through the 2023 season, so his buyout with USC was $12 million. Quite a bit of money just to, that's a big check to write to get him out of there. But they did it because, uh, well, through his uh, several years with USC, Clay Helton had a record of 46-24, and 24, which is not bad. Um, but he didn't have any playoff appearances, didn't really have any major... Uh, victories. He won the 2016 Rose Bowl, uh, but outside of that, that's really all that was on his resume as as being impressive. So his football program got kind of stagnant at USC, and uh, their first game after they fired him, they ended up winning this past week. So uh, for what it's worth, 
uh, things are moving in a different direction for USC. Uh, there's been some rumblings of, you know, possible coaches that may or may not be interested and, in, you know, all that's rumor mill, so we won't even get into all that. But um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, USC is one of the most historic, uh, historically successful college football programs, and it's probably a great job for uh, a coach that's wanting to take it to the next level. But uh, I came across this interesting stat uh, regarding colleges with the most NFL players during opening weekend of the NFL. So basically, it's the it's the top 10 colleges uh, with uh, NFL players on rosters in week one, all right? So uh, Alabama, no surprise, had the most NFL players on week one rosters with 54. Ohio State was a close second with 50 players on NFL rosters. LSU had 47 Georgia and Notre Dame both had 36. Clemson, Iowa, and Michigan all had 34 players on NFL rosters in week one. Florida had 32, and Penn State had 31. So that just thought that was interesting. I would have certainly guessed your usual suspects, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, Georgia. Um, I don't know that I would have had Iowa or Penn State up there, or really Michigan. Uh, if I really sat down and thought about it, I may have gotten those, but, um, you know, I'm surprised. You know, there there's some other big programs that are on there, like USC, we just talked about them, Texas, you know. Um, Auburn has a lot of good NFL talent come through there, and, you know, there's a lot of big programs that uh, aren't on that list, so um, at least inside the top ten anyways, but... Uh, that is going to do it for the 51st episode of Sports Island. I do appreciate you guys listening. Uh, this podcast is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. And uh, we'll uh, get back at it next uh, Next episode. We'll have some playoff baseball to discuss. Uh, NFL will be several weeks in. And uh, we'll recap the Ryder Cup and PGA Tour. And have another full episode for you with all the latest news and info. So until then... Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next time.